Hello and welcome to the Blue Economy Podcast, presented by Rhode Island, the Ocean State. I'm your host, David Hirschman, and today we're talking about investment opportunities in and around the ocean. Our guest for today's episode is Ted Janoulis, the founder and principal of Investable Oceans. Ted, in his words, not mine, is obsessed with the ocean and has been from an early age. We talked about where that obsession came from and how he's used it to build a career in blue economy industries. As always, you can learn more about our program by visiting our website at www.blueeconomypodcast.com or by following us on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. We also hope that you'll subscribe, rate, and review our show on Apple, Google, Spotify, or wherever you're listening. Thanks again for tuning in. And now let's dive into our chat with Ted Janoulis, founder and principal of Investable Oceans. So Ted Janoulis, the principal of Investable Oceans, thanks for taking the time to talk to us today. Thanks so much for having me. Delighted to be here, David. So before we get into kind of Investable Oceans generally, can you tell me a little bit about yourself? You're kind of uh, self-described obsessed with the ocean uh, and have been from an early age. Where, where did that obsession come from? Well, I have this theory that there's an ocean gene. Uh, it's an informal theory, uh, but it means that uh, I can't walk past a, a body of water of any type without wanting to jump in, dive, splash, do something in it. And I've met people over time who have that same sort of um, feeling about uh, water. In fact, I, I heard just a um, an example this morning of a story of two young women watching a segment on um, seaweed, and one uh, did not much care for um, various attributes of seaweed, and the other was eating a bowl and thinking about her second. So um, there is that that element. I, I think there is something actually inside us. Now, for those who are nature uh, versus nurture types, um, I also grew up in the 60s at a time when you had Jacques Cousteau in your living room, Sea Hunt on TV, James Bond, Thunderball, and people actually living under the, the sea for some period of time. So I think those uh, pieces both come into balance. But the long story short is from my very earliest ages, I always felt this uh, affinity and it was supported. So I was very much drawn to the oceans like many others. Well, so uh, before we get into the other stuff, you know, you're the former president of the Explorers Club uh, in New York City and, you know, still do a lot of stuff with that. Um, It's an organization that's been around since 1904. Can you tell me a little bit about what the club is and the kinds of things that you were able to, to do in your previous post? Sure. 1904 is, is a while ago now. It was founded by um, the polar and Arctic explorers. Back then, so much of exploration was about the white spaces. Um, but over time, it, it grew in terms of its scope. And we had mountaineers. Sir Edmund Hillary was our honorary chair for many years. And then uh, people who explored jungles, mountains, valleys, uh, outer space, lots of astronauts. And so it became a very broad-based um, exploration society with 3,500 people plus all over the world with one uh, fantastic um, uh, Upper East Side townhouse uh, looks right out of pa- pa- Harry Potter. So if you, anyone is in the area, please come by for a visit. But our mission is to um, support and enhance uh, exploration. And we do that through grants and programs with youth and trying to help put together um, uh, expeditions and all sorts of different activities, lots of education to the public. Um, We have uh, evolved over time um, because um, people are often focused on the so-called famous firsts of top to the bottom and of various things. Um, And those are are still very um, appealing to people. At the same time, you know, it's still a golden age of exploration from our perspective. And just to use one example, if you think about 
going to the bottom of the ocean. So in 1960, our former honorary um, chair, Don Walsh and Jacques Picard, went down uh, to the Mariana Trench um, in the Trieste with a sort of a Cold War um, element to it. 50 years later, James Cameron goes down in a very different way, very different equipment, very different mission, but the same spirit of, of exploration. Um, and more recently, you may have seen Victor Vescovo with his five deeps expedition and beyond, basically going everywhere in the deep, again, with new technologies, but new sets of eyes and new sensibilities. So there is a trajectory to exploration that it's not like you you touch a place once and then it's over because it's been done. There are many, many iterations and richer and deeper experiences. And the one other thing I'd add is that we're also um, thinking much more broadly in terms of um, inclusivity and diversity of expeditions and trying to embrace all the different ways it happens and all the people's efforts historically as well as currently. So we're growing in a lot of directions like that as well. Cool. Well, so um, how about your career a little bit? How did your decades of experience in finance and investing lead you to, you know, start Investable Oceans? I, or I guess, where did you see the white space in kind of ocean investing stuff? Yeah, it was a, it was a combination of things. One is uh, over a pretty long career in finance, I was exposed to all different kinds of investments and securities from stocks to bonds, to private equity, to venture all across um, the, the spectrum. And as over the last couple of years, people would approach me um, and ask me finance questions about the ocean. There are all these different types of securities and initiatives that I thought were applicable. But also at the same time, um, it also seemed like across the whole scope of the so-called blue economy, um, that there were uh, investable opportunities, meaning that you could go in looking to invest capital without sacrificing a market return, but doing good for the oceans at the same time. So that combination of the different range of kinds of investments you can make alongside of this idea that there, whether it's offshore energy or plastic remediation or aquaculture or ports and harbors, that there are, in, in fact, opportunities across all these areas. And are these more like sort of venture investments in, in, in the sense that like they're just like startup companies that are, you know, have an idea for how to make money through the ocean? Or is it are, are these sort of more long term or different kinds of investments, I guess? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. I mean, they're they're all over the place. Um, it includes very large companies, um, not only ones that are known for being in, say, offshore renewables like an Ersted or you know, companies with oceans in their name. There's not a lot of those, but in fact, the really big, um, the really big actors on the ocean are really big companies, and they hopefully those are all evolving towards better ocean practices. Um, but that there's a lot of activity that goes on in large publicly traded companies, which we're not focused on. We're focused further down the chain. To your point, more towards where the startups are. We don't do like flat out new venture because what we discovered is there's almost um, 200 different organizations around the world in this incredible necklace of innovation and its accelerators and incubators and hubs and clusters and contests. Um, and all these people are helping that ecosystem of generating companies that operate in these various sectors of the blue economy. So those can be early stage companies. A lot of that activity is around early stage companies. And now you're starting to see more funds um, in the private equity area in things like energy and aquaculture that's building out that portion of it. So it's sort of filling in nicely in terms of the, the very startup uh, element, the angel uh, version of Oceans, all the way up to the larger cap companies. 
the blanks are being filled in. At the same time, now you have blue bonds, which come in many different flavors. We have a, a tutorial on our site that goes through that if people are interested. But uh, my point is you're beginning to see all different kinds of ocean investments. And that's why we find this time so exciting. Do you find a lot of investors come to you um, specifically because they believe that they you know, will have outsized returns from the ocean or they want to do good by, you know, they, they want to do good for the ocean? Or I guess what's the, you know, what's the impetus that makes people kind of excited about this stuff? Yeah, as, as you would expect, uh, my answer probably is is highly variable. I don't yeah. think necessarily that people are thinking that this is where you're going to get all the unicorns going forward. There, By the way, there likely will be unicorns. Um, and there are exciting prospects for technologies to get uptake with large corporations, et cetera. Um, so it's not that it won't happen. But I think people still think right now, climate tech, if there's an overlap between oceans and climate, which you all know there, there is, there may be some in that interface there. But I think it's um, not wanting to sacrifice return to think about you could do the kinds of returns you could do in other areas, but also get that benefit if it's something that you love and appreciate and, and want to help. Well, let's sorry, I, I sort of glazed over this, but um, let's talk about investable oceans kind of generally. It's that you founded the organization in 2020. Um, and as I understand it, it serves as a resource to help connect in investors with exciting projects in and around the ocean. Um, can you just take us a little bit deeper and tell us exactly what it is and how, how the fund works and kind of who, who you work with? Sure. Uh, you know, going back to that realization that there are investable um, projects and companies across the whole blue economy. One other um, thing I realized at the time was that they're very different investment ecosystems. So the people who are investing in offshore energy or the ecosystem that supports offshore energy are not necessarily the same that work on plastic cremation or aquaculture, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So our thought was, you know, this is a, it's, it's a huge ocean economy uh, by some counts over uh, a trillion and a half on its way to three trillion. Um, and within that, though, there's so many different things that are scattered around and embedded other places. So the idea was to create a site where it didn't matter what kind of security it was, and it didn't matter what sector of the blue economy you're interested in, you could go there, get educated and exposed um, to different elements. So it's basically a way to bring together um, companies that are looking to raise money and investors who are looking to um, invest. And basically, it started with accredited investors as our, our main um, uh, client base, which is still what we're very interested in, because that's how you get those earlier stage companies going. But at the same time, you had a lot of people visit the site who weren't necessarily accredited. And we thought, why not have more things for more people? So we started to put some funds on the por portion of the site where you can go and invest without being accredited, some crowdfunding things. And over time, we'll have more and more things that sort of broaden the, the, the aspect of it. The other thing that we've built out a lot is the education component, because initially we thought about it as a, as a hub or a platform where um, offerers and investors came together. But in fact, people learn uh, different ways. So we, we have the short versions of things called quick dips. Uh, we have longer versions, which are deep dives. But then we added podcasts and film and uh, artists. And because people experience things different ways. So it's become a larger content site. We have over a thousand 
pieces of, of uh, collateral on it that are searchable and sortable. And yes, that can be used. It gets tied in when you look at a given investment, but also increasingly, we also have people coming to the site um, just to learn more about the oceans. And we think that kind of element is really important as well. Do, do you think it's difficult or confusing for investors to find ocean-related projects to support? Um, and is, I, I mean, I, get, I guess obviously there's a lot of educational content that you're, you're just talking about on the site, but um, I guess for someone who's like a layperson who's just like interested in the oceans and like wants to support it, how do you like find projects to, you know, put a few dollars in or whatever? Yeah, so we find um, a lot of ours for the site sourced through that innovation network. So the people who run these contests or these uh, accelerators, we look to them for, because we we don't uh, say that we're not a fund. We don't make recommendations. We're not going to go out and tell you, you know, do this or do that. Uh, what we will do is some basic screening. And one of the ways we screen is to look for people who have been validated other places, like some of these uh, accelerators and incubators, which are absolutely uh, excellent. So that's how we collect some of ours. We'll do more, I think, likely in the future as well through crowdfunding, but that's the way that that we find them. It's it's not easy to do if you're not a part of it. And that's why we like the idea of trying to say, you know, if you're thinking oceans and investment come, come here. There's one important distinction that uh, I think is important to make early. So if you think um, about things as a continuum, on one side, on the extreme, is at market investing or market-based investing, what we've been talking about, where you don't think you're going to give up any yield to, to invest in this company. At the other extreme is philanthropy or forgivable loans or NGOs, where right. the money is given. Um, and the expectation is that will be responsibly stewarded, but there's not an expectation of things coming back to you. Um, in the middle is this huge, important space, and I think we'll talk about a few of these later on, that are referred to anything from blended finance to impact capital to concessionary impact. There's sort of a combination. Sometimes it's different kinds of capital in the, in the, very, uh, in the very same thing. Other times it's a certain kind of capital that just does the whole investment. So back to the point about trying to simplify and your question about how do you find things, the very first step is to try to get a sense of what it is that you're looking at. Is it really designed to be an at-market investment? I think you'll recognize if it's not philanthropy because you'll know you're getting nothing back. But there are a lot of hybrid models where you get some return or there's a social component. And those are fantastic, by the way, uh, and vital uh, to the ocean ecosystem. But I think understanding that difference is an important one. Some previous interviews, you've pointed to uh, Ocean Vision, which is a collaboration between researchers from Scripps and Monterey Bay, MIT, and elsewhere as a, a good example of how the blue economy can grow in a cooperative fashion. Mm -hmm. um, what are some other examples of comprehensive ocean-based projects that you have your that you have your eye on? I mean, sort of these big collaborative things uh, that could be could turn into good investments. Yeah, absolutely. So. Um, interesting you mentioned Ocean Vision because uh, I, I'm still amazed that you mentioned some of the names, but the fact that Scripps and Woods Hole and MIT um, and uh, Ambari, the Monterey Bay and Georgia Tech and Stanford can all pull together um, to get things out of the research labs into the ocean, I think is a statement in and of itself about what's going on in terms of people working together. Um, we're also part of another organization called 1000 
ocean startups, which is, that's our goal, is 1,000 ocean startups by 2030. And it's a combination of incubators and accelerators and funds, again, which we're not, we're more of a platform or a hub in their view, um, all coming together to try to share resources, share information, and accelerate success for, for people in the network. So those are two examples. You know, I would say back to this idea of the things I talked about in the middle of that continuum, the vital things in blended finance. Let me mention three really quickly because they're all fantastic. Uh, one is Aura, the Ocean Risk and Resilience Action Alliance, which is an amazing consortium that's designing the capital markets of the future. So yes, they're taking some concessionary capital, but they're blending it and trying to create different kinds of products um, that have you know real merit and real value. Um, so they are real pioneers. There's a global fund for coral reefs, which you may have heard about, which is a big initiative to generate projects by 2030 that enhance and, and save coral reefs. And to use one from another part of the world, there's uh, an initiative called the Great Blue Wall that was recently kicked off. That's um, Western Indian Ocean countries together with IUCN and other actors who are pulling together to say, let's create these uh, this connected channels of blue spaces where you're looking out for the environment, for the coastal areas, but also for the, the lives and livelihoods of the individuals. It's a massive undertaking with countries and NGOs and tons and tons of individuals supporting it. But that's the kind of mentality I think it's going to take to get where we have to get. So um, you mentioned a bunch of different kinds of companies in, the, in your last answer. And, and I was wondering, like, where do you see the edges of the blue economy? I mean, I, you know, Obviously, there's kind of the environmental side, and there's the things with the coral reefs. Um, you know, we here at uh, on the podcast anyway, we we include things like offshore wind and shipping and all that kind of stuff. You know, where do you where do you see kind of the edges of the kinds of things that you're investing in? Yeah, it's a great question, um, and we we think about that a lot. So if it's an offshore wind project or something about supporting that ecosystem. We count that as ocean. If it's a turbine, you know, in the in central part of the United States, we wouldn't. Um, interestingly, there's a there's obviously a flow along the coastline. So if you're keeping plastic out of the ocean, we think that that should count. Um, and when we say should, that just means our taste. There's so many different ways you could look at this. We don't do sort of water infrastructure in the sort of classic sense, um, but things that are sort of acting at the interface of land and, and sea, uh, those we think are, are fair game. And there's so much to do. People often say, you know, why don't you focus on a broader climate view? And we say two things. First of all, it's, I think, becoming increasingly accepted that the two are inextricably entwined. And you really can't solve one without solving the other. Um, and the, the other part is um, the oceans are kind of a big thing. Um, and the people investing in them are very varied and it, it's institutions. But when you think of individuals, it's this huge aggregation. You might be a sailor or a surfer or a diver or a swimmer or a poet, um, but it's actually a pretty big group. It's just dispersed and you have to find ways to to bring it um, together. So that's um, that's kind of the way we look at um, a lot of how our model is constructed. Um, so you have to draw lines somewhere, but that's where we drive. Do, do, do most of the investments have kind of an uh, environmental sustainability angle to them? Or, I mean, you, you wouldn't necessarily invest in like a shipping company or something like that, would you? So the thing with respect to the shipping industry, there's a, there's a, 
actually pretty well-defined set of initiatives around decarbonization. And there's a lot of things that go with that. It might be, you know, scraping things off the hulls. It might be software that allows you to be more efficient. It might be building a whole new kind of ship. Um, those, for our perspective, are all in bounds. But to your point, it is true that um, so much of what we're doing on the, on the sustainability side, a huge chunk of that comes down to carbon. And even within that, because plastics are carbon too, but even within that, greenhouse gases, which cause so much of the issues today from all the things we know, from warming to acidification, et cetera. Interesting. Well, all right. So you have decades of experience in investing and um, also being an advocate of the ocean. Um, whether it's a specific company or just an industry, what ocean-related venture do you wish you'd invested in 20 years ago? Well, so 20 years ago is an interesting time to take. If I, um, there have been successes um, in the in the sort of clean tech world, if you will, um, ocean or otherwise, but it, it hasn't been a straight path. There have been dips and, and turns. But if you said, um, where would have been a good place as the decarbonization piece and the, and the lower emissions piece, um, as those came into play, I think that would have been a good place to be Although you could have, you know, there's a lot of companies that did struggle and sometimes there were reverses, but in the aggregate, there's clearly progress made. If you look at what, what um, as an example, what auto companies are doing around electrification, et cetera. Um, I think the other one that uh, really comes to mind is, is food. And uh, there's been, there's a well-noted crossover between wild-caught fish, fisheries um, and aquaculture that happened a few years ago. And as the world goes from, seven plus billion to 10 billion, um, it's likely that the fisheries don't increase nearly as much. They've been stable for some time, um, which is by the way, good news, bad news in some respects, a longer conversation, but with respect to aquaculture, it's clearly going to fill in the gap. And again, it's not a straight line and there've been, there's been issues and not everything's worked out perfectly. But even if you look back to your 20 year point, clearly we're in a much more advanced place today. And I think that's really going to accelerate. So I think energy and, and food are two places I would go. I do think that that shipping is actually getting a lot of traction now because the banks are supporting initiatives. There's more clearly defined things like Poseidon principles and the IMO is is also um, you're doing more. So I think um, I think there's going to be a lot of progress there. So similarly, like if, if you're thinking about today, like looking ahead 20 years, what would an kind of an ocean aficionado um, make sure to get into in order to avoid similar regrets? Mm, yeah. Well, fascinating. I, I think it's really, it's those same things. I think, I think um, greenhouse gases is one of the big issues of our time. And as I said, it flows through all these things that, that happen. Um, and if we don't get that part right, um, it will be enormous headwinds to try and figure other things out. So you can be looking at interesting tech things or interesting materials, but um, if, if we miss greenhouse gases, it's going to um, swamp us. And I do think that the, the part, the reason I'd stick with food as well, broadly construed, is that um, it is a growing planet. It does have to get protein. I think it's pretty well established that some of the practices that generate our food today um, are suboptimal from a climate perspective. So um, I think the food area is going to be fascinating. And that could be anything from, you know, culture fish to different kinds of aquaculture onshore, offshore. I think those will all experience growth. 
Are there any companies or particular technologies that you're like super excited about right now? Or there are just one thing that I, in, in doing this podcast, I feel like I come across all these like sort of interesting ocean facts or interesting, like, like who knew that these people were doing these things. And so like, do you have any, any sort of things on the top of your mind like that? Yeah, I think, well, it's interesting. Um, you might've, you might've noticed that seaweed is having a moment um, and it's, it's seemingly everywhere now. Um, which is great because there are a lot of great things about it. All the things that people say, it could be food, it could be for pharmaceuticals, it could be for healthcare, it could be all these different things, clothing. Um, so I think that um, there, there's a lot that's going on interestingly in that space. And if you want to have some fun with it, you could look at the, the sort of supply chain, if you will. And there's, there's consumer facing groups that are selling things. Uh, like, you know, chips and burgers and all the things you might imagine, uh, all the way back to trying to organize the farmers and do that inclusively and in a respectful way and not, you know, mess up local environments, but right there at that edge. And then there's all kinds of technology things that are happening in between in terms of extracting the most value or getting better materials, et cetera. So um, the, the good thing about following seaweed is that there's a lot written about it. They're, they're cool stories. They're interesting entrepreneurs. And you could go on almost any of the sites of any of the big media companies and they'll have something that they've done recently that's packaged and short and interesting. And that's a way, I think, to sort of get into um, learning more about it. And once you get into seaweed, by the way, it just, it goes everywhere. There's so many different aspects to it. Thank you for listening to the Blue Economy Podcast presented by Rhode Island, the Ocean State. And thanks a lot to Ted Janoulis for joining us. We hope you'll subscribe, rate, and review our program on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. And if you want to learn more, just head to our website at www.blueeconomypodcast.com or find us on Twitter, Facebook, or LinkedIn. From beautiful Providence, Rhode Island, I'm David Hirschman. Thanks for listening.